Welcome to Cross Defense. It's Monday afternoon. That's what that sound means. And I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, and your host every Monday on the show where we, we engage in curious Christian conversation. That's the idea here. We want to talk about uh, what is of interest to, to you and the world and mash it up with the scriptures. See what the Bible has to say about our everyday life. It's one of the great tragedies. I'm convinced of this. It's one of the great tragedies of our own age is that people are interested in anything and everything except that which is the best, and that is God's Word, His kindness to us. And so we want to we want to engage the Word and see how the Word engages us in the world that we live in and so forth. To do that today, we're going to have two parts. I'm going to talk to you about Ephesians chapter 6 and and the armor of God and what it means to engage in spiritual warfare. And then Pastor Flammy, uh, Pastor Brian Flammy from uh, Los Alamos, wait a minute. That's where Ketchumire is. Pastor Flammy's down in Roswell, New Mexico. He's going to come on to talk about about the Christians and Halloween and spiritual warfare and ghosts and and hauntings and how we think about those things as as biblically minded Christians. Uh, he said he had a, 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 a conversation yesterday that's got him thinking about all these sorts of things. So we're going to have him come on and talk to uh, talk to us about that in about in about 15 minutes or so. But first, uh, we want to look at Ephesians chapter 6. Now, this is an amazing thing where Paul says to the Christians, after he's talked to husbands and wives and fathers and children and, and uh, workers and masters and everything else like this, he then he turns to all Christians and says, finally, finally, I want you guys to be strong. And uh, and the strength that you should have is not this, a strength of your own doing, but it is rather the strength of God's own armor. So he says, put on the armor of God so that you may be able to, uh, uh, to stand against the wiles of the devil, because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, look at, listen to how often Paul sends that. Stand, stand, stand. I think it's five times in here, which reminds us that when we engage in spiritual warfare, we are, we are not called to attack, but rather to stand. That's the goal, that we would, that we would stand our ground. And in fact, the, the picture that St. Paul has given us here is the picture of a Roman century. Remember that you, you would have different sort of, and, and I suppose that every, uh, army is like this. In fact, the the name that Paul uses here for the demons is uh, is these ranks uh, according to the armies, so that even the angels and the demons are are set up in ranks, and so the Christian is put in a station in in the um, in the fighting against the devil. And the the duty that we have is the duty of the sentry, the one who stands on the border to watch. So that so remember in the ancient world you had this this huge Roman. Empire is a massive empire, and all along the border, you would have soldiers who would be stationed there, and their job was to stand and to watch. And the description that Paul's giving us of the Christian is that picture. Now, I've been told I don't I don't know exactly where this comes from. If you if you're listening and you know where this comes from, I'd love to be able to track it down. But I've been told that there were two capital crimes that the one who's on guard duty could commit. The first was falling asleep, because if you fall asleep, you're useless. And the second was actually going out to fight. Your job was not to go and engage the enemy, because if you did, well, you'd end up dead anyways. And the problem is that there would then be a breach in the border, and the enemies could come in. So that you're to stand there, and you're to watch, and whenever you see the enemy attacking, you're supposed to sound the alarm. 
And when you sound the alarm, those back in the garrison, back behind you, not on the front, they hear the alarm and they gather up their weapons and they come to defend the place where the border is being attacked. Now, that's that's the picture of your Christian life. Now, this is so important. Oftentimes we sing these hymns about how the Christian is the one who's going to march out to war, like we are on some sort of crusade for the Lord Jesus, and we're going to go take ground and all this sort of stuff. That's not the picture of warfare. In fact, in fact, we have the opposite picture in the, in this, that, that first you are the sentry duty who, who is the one who stands on the front lines, and whenever anyone comes, you call for reinforcements. That's the first picture. And then the second picture given to us in the text is the picture of the one who runs back from the battle back home and gives the good news of the victory. But we'll get to that in a minute. That has to do with the shoes of the readiness to spread the gospel of peace. What, a, what an absolutely wonderful text that we're in, by the way, here. But we're to stand there where the Lord has placed us, and we are to call for reinforcements. That's the picture of Christian warfare. You are not, you are not authorized to go charging at the enemy and go try to take ground from the devil. In fact, to do so would be to deny, would be to not to deny Jesus his his office of being our champion. He, he's the one, remember, who goes and fights the battle for us. He's the David who goes out to face the Goliath. He's the one who stands in the breach and overcomes the devil and all of his attacks for us. And we are hidden in the safety of his victory. He is the victor, not you. So we don't charge, but we rather, over and over in the text, we stand. And we stand not in our own strength, this is another important point. We don't stand in our own uh, strength or in our own authority, in our own power. If we were to do that, then we would be overcome just like this. Blam. Rather, we, we stand in the strength of the Lord and the power of his might. And, and the way that we do that is by putting on the armor of God. Now, Paul is going to, and you have to use your imagination here. Now, I think this is one of these great times as you're listening. Just to, we, You have to be able to see this. So Paul, It's almost like Paul is there in jail in Rome, probably, when he wrote, wrote this epistle to the saints of God in Ephesus. And he's looking at the soldier who's guarding him, and he, and he says, Ah, look at that helmet, and, and look at that breastplate, and, and look at that belt, and, and all that. And he just kind of walks down so you can see the soldier there. And, and, and Paul says, Take up the whole armor of God, stand therefore, verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Stand, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, of having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, he says, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and the helmet of salvation which, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, that with perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me and so forth. So Paul says, you, you are able to now, you are able to stand not by your own strength, not by your own might, but by the gifts of the gospel. I mean, imagine, the breastplate of righteousness. That's not your own righteousness, that's the righteousness of Christ, which is delivered to you by faith. The helmet of salvation, that's not the salvation that you've worked yourself, that's the gift of God in Christ. By grace we're saved, through faith, and that not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. The truth, that's not your own truth. Oh, this is the plague that we live in in these modern days, is that truth is everybody's truth. You have your truth, I have my truth, and all that sort of nonsense. That's rubbish. There is one truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So that we, we, have our, we hold our pants up because Jesus is the truth, because we know the truth of Jesus. 
We have the, uh, the shield of faith. And that shield, Paul tells us, the shield of faith is able to quench the fiery darts of the devil. I remember uh, one time in a Bible study that someone was explaining how the Roman soldiers, and I, I, and I don't know this is true, but it, I'd love to know more about these Roman soldiers, but one of the things that they would do is, especially if they knew that the enemy was going to be firing flaming arrows at them, that they would soak their shields in water overnight. They'd have these kind of wood and leather shields like that, and so they'd... they'd uh, They'd soak their shields in water so that when they went to fight the next day, they'd hold up the shield and the arrows would hit the sh- would hit that shield and they would it would extinguish the the um, the fires on those arrows. Can you imagine that? This is this beautiful picture of baptism that we, we, that that our faith is saturated in the water of baptism and the promise of God, so that the devil is there firing his fiery darts, pew 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 pew, and they all land in the shield of faith and they're quenched. Imagine if we could see, I mean, it would be really wonderful to be able to see this every day. We, we, we don't see the devil, we don't see the demons, we don't see his fiery darts being shot at us all the time, but they are, and they're flying all around us. But we're protected by this shield of faith, which we also don't see, and all these fiery darts are landing in the shield of faith, and they're being quenched. How marvelous is that? <laughs> it reminds me of that scene, remember that scene in the... It's like Toy Story 17 or whatever, where all the toys are in the in the cones. You, if you haven't seen this, you can imagine a bunch of toys, and they're in the traffic cones, and they're trying to sneak across the road, and they and they make all these different shapes, and all the cars are flying all over, barely missing them. They almost get crushed about a hundred times, and all these cars are smashing into each other, but they have no idea because they can't see it. And they get to the other side of the road, and they throw off the cones, and they said, "We made it! <laughs> no problem, piece of cake." Well, that's how we are. We're walking around, and the devil every minute is shooting at us, pew 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 pew, and we anybody keeps missing us we just don't see it all these arrows are landing in the shield of faith in fact if you want to think of it this way all these arrows are landing in christ already he is our shield of faith that all of the attacks of the devil ended up hitting jesus on the cross so that we're safe in him i mean if you can imagine the this shield of faith has jesus on it and he's the one who's pierced through with sorrows cut and cut and, and torn apart by the whips and the nails and everything else so that we can be safe so that we're we are in the shelter we are in the shadow of his wings remember how jesus says that and how i long to gather you under my wings like a chicken gathers her chicks and you now he's got us under his wings under the pinion of his wings and we're safe in there this is the shield of faith so that all the devil's attacks are hitting jesus and not and not hitting you absolutely stunning so that we're safe and we're able to stand not not by our own strength but by the gifts of the gospel we're, we're able to stand, not because we have authority to stand or, or power to stand, but because Jesus stands, because Jesus stood. Yeah, he stood in the wilderness when he was tempted by the devil, and he didn't fall. Even when Adam and Eve were there in the garden, and the devil comes and tempts them, and they fall. But when Jesus went into the wilderness, he stood. He resisted the devil. He, he, where, where, where we could not, he succeeded, and, and we are now safe in him so that we're there protected there by the by the gospel we're we're safe by the gifts of jesus we we are secure by his blood and his word and all the gifts that he has to give 
Revelation 12 gives us this beautiful passage where it's, it's talking about the saints who overcame the devil, and it says that there's three ways that they overcame the devil. These are three, and they go together. It says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, that's the blood shed by Jesus and given to us in the supper, by the word of their testimony, that's the apostolic scriptures and the preaching of law and gospel, and, number three, they did not love their lives unto death. One of, the, one of the ways the devil gets to us, the way he holds us in bondage, is by the fear of death. That's Hebrews 2, remember? By the fear of death, we're held in bondage our whole life, but Jesus has set us free from the fear of death so that the devil has no access to it, so that we're able to stand. And what do we do? What are the sentry duties? What are the Roman soldiers supposed to do when they're standing there? They're just not supposed to stand up. They're, they're supposed to listen and watch for trouble and to call in reinforcements when they see it. During the day, they're to stand alert watching, and at night, they're to stand alert watching with their ears. The night duty was the hardest, number one, because it's, you want to fall asleep, and number two, because you can't see anything, so you have to listen. So your, your watching is done by your ears. And this is what the Lord has called us to do, to stand in the place where he's put us according to our vocation. So whatever your vocation is, at your home, at your work, at your church, at your neighborhood, you are placed there by God like a sentry duty to watch and listen for the attacks of the devil. And when he attacks, you're supposed to call in reinforcements. And how do we call in the reinforcements? It's, in fact, our sword that we use to call in reinforcements. Now, this is a great mystery, but look, in, look at what Paul says here. He says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We never want to separate the Spirit from the Word. And then he says, praying with all prayer and supplication. So how do we use our sword of the Spirit? How do we swing it around? By taking up the Bible to pray. When we pray, now think of it this way. When we take up our work of prayer, we are calling in reinforcements. We're saying, Lord, here's where we need your help. Here's who needs your help. Here's, what, here's where you can come and bless. Here's where you can come and serve. Here's where forgiveness is needed and daily bread is needed and your kingdom is needed and your will and your name are needed. And so we're calling in with the scriptures help to come and fight against the devil. Now, I said that that, that that was the chief picture that Paul's given us in Ephesians 6, but there's one more little picture because it says, put on your feet the shoes of the readiness to spread the gospel of peace. And that's not, only, that's not the picture of a sentry duty. That's the picture of those who go to make the announcement that the victory has been won. <laughs> the one who runs from the front and announces the good news. Oh, this is so great. Ah, we got to talk about it, but we, we're running out of time this break. So stay. we're going to go to a quick break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about what this means, the, the readiness to spread the good news. We'll talk about that, and then we'll get Pastor Flammy to tell us how that happens when we're especially engaged in all of this kind of weird spiritual stuff around Halloween time. Stick tight. We'll be back just in a few minutes and talk more about this armor of God. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Thanks for listening. Talk to you in just a few seconds. This is the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of Chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. 
The story of Worldwide KFUO is a tale of technology. Radio was new in 1924 when KFUO was born to serve Christ the Savior. Now, KFUO is still finding new broadcast technologies so we can spread the gospel to the world via the web, smartphones, tablets, and new intelligent speaker devices. And when the next big thing is unveiled, we'll be there too. Broadcasting the good news at the forefront of technology, we are Worldwide KFUO. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. St. Louis, I can't wait to meet you. I'm Katie Shurman, author and editor of Emanuel Press's latest release, He Restores My Soul. And I hope you'll join me and my fellow authors, Cheryl Swope, Cheryl Magnus, Heidi Sias, and Heather Smith at 6 p.m. on October 5th at Villagerin in Ladue. Cookies will be on hand for consuming, books will be on hand for purchasing, and authors will be on hand for signing. That's 6 p.m. on October 25th at Village Lutheran Church. See you then. CrossFit. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Wolfmuller.co is the place where all the other stuff goes. Uh, audio, podcast, sermons, writings, etc., etc. There's some books, a bunch of free Luther books. In fact, we just published last week Luther's On the Council and the Churches, which is free to download there if you go to, if you go to Wolfmuller.co. Pastor Flammy, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you doing? Good. Hey, you know all about this military stuff. We were just talking about in the first segment uh, the, this picture that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 6, and, and uh, that it's mostly the picture of the sentry duty, but then he says the shoes of the readiness to spread the good news, and I think this is important for us understanding the gospel, because we, we always talk about the gospel as good news, but it's in some ways it's more of a technical term. It's the good news of victory brought from the battlefield. So there's like this famous story of the Battle of Marathon, right, 26.2 miles away from Athens, and uh, and the Athenians won, and so then the guy runs all the way back to announce the news of the victory, and then he collapses over dead. Is this the this picture of good news? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, that's right. I mean, there's uh, fewer good uses of shoes that I can think of than uh, using them to run to tell someone something wonderful, uh, such as the warfare is over. I think that's great. It's got to be a... I mean, so to imagine in the ancient world, so there you are in your house or whatever the the children and the women are there and the men have all gone to your husband and your sons have all gone over the horizon to fight and you 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 see the smoke going up from the battlefield and maybe you even hear some sounds of the battlefield and you don't you have no idea what's going to come over the horizon you have got no idea if over the horizon is going to come your your husband and your sons back from battle victorious with the spoils of battle, or if the if the other army is going to come over and going to burn your house and do all sorts of plundering and all this, and so you're sitting there and you're the the anxiety of how the battle is going to come out. I mean, this matters. And then over the horizon comes this one runner, and they're yelling, "We've won!" They're going to either be yelling, uh, yelling, "We lost." Head for the hills, or we've won, and every and then everyone goes and throws up their hands in joy, and that's what Paul says. He says, "Put on your feet the the shoes of the readiness to spread the gospel of peace." In other words, we we especially the pastors, but all the Christians are running back from the battlefield of the cross of Jesus, uh, 
declaring to all of us who are anxious and worried how this thing is going to turn out and announcing victory. Jesus has won the victory. We have, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the, this is the, the picture of the gospel, huh? No, it's absolutely the picture of the gospel, and especially if you remember Romans chapter 10, you know, St. Paul uh, picks up the language of Isaiah, uh, when he talks about, uh, blessed are the feet of those who come to preach the good news. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm interested about, though? Um, so, I mean, it's, it, you're a special kind of fighter. <laughs> you're ready to run and to, to tell people about the, uh, uh, the victory that's been won by Christ, but it's almost as if you have to fight your way to the people to preach the good news. So it's not as if your sword stays in its scabbard, but St. Paul speaks about it in terms of it being out, uh, which I find interesting, especially if you're running to tell people about the victory, yet it seems like you're fighting out of the remnants of what's left of the enemy to get to your objective, you know? Yeah, yeah, it, that's the fight now. So the battle's been won by Jesus on the cross. So the fight now, the, the, the devil doesn't have victory, but the fight now is going to be a fight over the conscience. It's not, no longer is the fight for the throne in heaven. There's no longer a place found for the devil anymore. So now Revelation 12 tells us this, right? The devil has come down to us knowing that his time is short. And, in, and so he's brought the battle from heaven to the con to earth, and especially to the conscience. So the fight now is to keep the news of the victory of the battle that Jesus has won from getting to the people who will benefit from it. That's so the so the fight is with the messenger getting to the people who need to hear the message. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing about the uh, metaphor of the soldier is uh, I sometimes think that we have our attitudes about that quite wrong. Uh, so when we see soldiers in civilian life, right? They're dressed up in fancy uniforms. You know, the Marines are wearing their dress blues with the polished buttons and the shiny shoes. And they got the white gloves on and they have the immaculate weapons that they use in close order drill. Uh, and that's all fantastic. But St. Paul isn't speaking about a garrison soldier, you know, somebody on parade. Instead, he's speaking about someone who's engaged in warfare, which means that uh, the, the glorious picture of the soldier that we normally associate in our own minds with soldiering is wrong. Uh, St. Paul is speaking of the man who, who goes to fight often in, without anyone else seeing him, often without anyone else uh, appreciating him for what he's doing, and he's suffering, and he's witnessing carnage and death and, and dying, you know? That, uh, do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I think that what St. Paul wants is not this glorious uh, picture of the soldier in dressed uniform, but rather for us to see the soldier uh, as a humble picture, a very humble picture, and one that's given to all kinds of suffering and pain. Yeah, there is the soldier on parade when he's not fighting, but when the victory's won or whatever, or even when he's preparing for victory. But, but Paul, says, uh, Paul says we are in the midst of the battle, and the battle, he says, is not against flesh and blood. So we're not, our, we're not fighting against other people, but the Christian's battle, the Christian soldier, is battling demons, the, the principalities, the powers of this world, and this sort of thing. And I think that's particularly what you were interested in talking about uh, today, uh, because, because of why. You had a conversation this weekend that got you thinking about it. Yeah, that's right. I was going to go after church on Sunday to give the sacrament of Jesus' body and blood to one of our uh, dear ladies who's recovering from a fall. And as I'm going past the front desk, uh, the fellow over there waves me over, and he says, Father, because he just assumes that I'm, I don't know, a Roman Catholic priest. He says, Father, tell me about home blessings. 
how do I get somebody to come and to do a home blessing? And I said, why? What's going on? What do you, what do you mean? Uh, what kind of a home blessing do you have uh, in mind? And he says, well, first let me ask you, do you do home blessings? I say, of course I do. He says, all right, let me tell you, our house is haunted. Uh, we, my, like that, that is myself and my dad and my mom, we witness these apparitions that appear around the house. Like at various times of the night when I'll open up my eyes, I'll see a figure standing over me. Uh, a menacing, evil, dark-looking thing. And even at night, I'll hear noises like banging from the attic. And other times, I will have the covers ripped straight off of my body. And I'll wake up in a cold sweat, and I see that my dog is awake and his ears are pointing forward, but then I can't see anything. He'll talk about how different rooms of the house are icy cold in comparison to the other ones. And so, uh, after relating parts of this, his experience with these experience, uh, relating his experience with these apparitions and, and various feelings, he says, what do you think I should do? I, I've tried to use holy water. And what he meant by that is that he or his mom went to the local parish, uh, filled up a vial full of this holy water or somehow obtained it, and came back to the house and sprinkled it around the rooms of the house that, where they had seen the apparitions or where things had flown across the room. And he said that, but this has not helped. And now I, I'm ready for a priest or, or a pastor to come and to, to, to bless the house. I think this is amazing uh, I because, you, you, I mean, just yeah. to kind of, to, for the setup is um, one of the, you know, we're, we're used to engaging, the anti-Christian the anti stuff that we're used to engaging is so secular and materialistic. Uh, that, mm -hmm. that for whatever reason, the thing that kind of captures our defensive attention is the is the people who don't believe in anything spiritual, yeah, the the, the evolutionists and the materialists and this sort of thing. But but this is probably the the majority of people who believe in things that are that, that there is more than what we can see. Most people are in some way spiritual, and I think that this kind of interaction that you're talking about not only is mu much more common than we would actually give it credit for, but is going to be even growing in, um, in our own experience. That people are, they, there's, some, there, there's, a, there's an interaction with whatever, with the other side, yeah. with the spiritual world that is, that is more frequent and more often and maybe even more normal than we think about it. Well, even according to the Pew Research Center, uh, they did a poll back in 2015 around Halloween time, go figure, yep. and they said that 29% of people have been in touch with the dead by their own accounting. I mean, can you think about that? I mean, wow. a third of the population have, think that they have come into contact with the spirits of the dead. 18% of people have apparently seen a ghost. And about one-third of all people, again, believe in spirits of the dead coming back, as if, you know, the spirits of the dead have that ability to tr cross over this border between life and death to visit the living. And then about the same proportion of the population, a third, believe in such a thing as haunted objects, houses, and so on. Uh, necromancy, we call that communication with the dead. Why do we, necro means dead. What does mancy mean? Mancy. Magic? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. Okay, so this guy says, "I got a haunted house. I live in a haunted house. Well, I need. Uh, the, I've got the holy water. That hasn't worked. So then, what can you do? So then, what happened? 
Well, I, I look him in the eye and I tell him, I believe you. Um, you seem to be in your right mind. Uh, you're not, you're, you're holding down a regular job. <laughs> you know, you bring in an income. You're able to take care of yourself. You're, you're, you know, you're clean. You're in your right mind. You're wearing, you're, you're doing a job even as I'm talking back and forth as this guy. And so I said, it's not like you're drunk. It's not like you're on drugs. It doesn't look like you're mentally ill. I mean, I don't know any of those things for certain, but that's how it appeared to me. And I said, and I, but I think that what you see, just based upon the conviction of what you're saying in your own voice, is true. That you are actually witnessing these things happening around you. And I said, you're right in thinking that these things are evil. Um, and then uh, what he called haunting, I told him this is instead demonic affliction. Uh, that these are the demons who uh, want him to be afraid of them. And uh, so I asked him about his background in church. And he said that he grew up Roman Catholic as well as his mom and his dad. I said, that's good. Okay. Well, when was the last time you went to confession? When was the last time you went to Mass? And he was very quiet for a long time. And he says, I can't remember. But then he quickly added in, but we're very spiritual, and we have faith. And so there's this disconnect, I think, between spirituality, faith, and then what is done in church and what the church provides. Uh, and, and so I told him, look, I, I understand what you want. You, you want someone to come to perform a rite, and then for the ghosts not to come back, or what are apparently ghosts to you. And I said, really, with the demons, the only thing that casts them out is, is the Word of God and faith. That's why, and so Jesus sums up those two elements together when he says that there, there are particular demons that can only be driven out uh, by prayer. And uh, so that's from Mark chapter 9, verse 29. So, so let me and, stop you there, because so, yeah. before, so before we get to the wrestling with the demons, I, I'd like you just yeah. to spend a little more time. How, so how can you just, so how do you get from, hey, these weird things are happening to this is demonic activity? Because a lot of people would say, and I, and I, I, I would 100% agree with you, by the way, and I, I think this is an important thing for us to say, is that mm -hmm. when people are having these sorts of strange experiences that we don't, it is possible that they're just sort of, we can dismiss them as some sort of mental illness, but that the Bible teaches us differently that there is a spiritual realm that mm -hmm. uh, that, that there are the Bible tells stories of people who s have seen apparitions and that we can set, we can we can acknowledge that and we can we can even account for it as demonic activity but but so connect that dot as tightly as you could yeah, absolutely well, the first thing uh, i've heard you talk about this before. And you've admitted to the word ghost as a real thing. And your definition of ghost, and I think this is correct, is a disembodied soul. And according to the scriptures, we know that there is such a thing as disembodied souls. This is what happens at the moment of death. The soul is rent from the body at death. And then the soul, if, uh, they, if the person uh, was Christian, baptized, had faith in the word of God, then the soul is taken by the angels to the bosom of, of Abraham. And, and uh, the soul rests there until the resurrection of the dead. However, just like with uh, the rich man, otherwise known as divvies or dives, uh, when he dies, his soul goes to torment to await the resurrection of his body to again be sent to hell. 
Uh, now, this is important that we understand that in between the time of death and then the taking of the soul into either heaven or hell, there is not an intermediate state. And for our proof uh, uh, of that doctrine, we go especially to uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Uh, there, St. Paul says, it is for man once to die, and then comes judgment. That is, the soul is judged at the moment of death. Right? Uh, that, uh, in fact, we might push that back to say, of course, we're judged in this life according to the Word of God, right? Either we're bound to our sins because of the law and our lack of repentance and faith, or by the preaching of God's Word and His blessing and baptism, we are judged, and, uh, uh, you know, and we're clothed with Christ's righteousness. And so the state of our soul at the moment of death is either for heaven or hell. The Scriptures know of no other intermediate state. Now, there's a couple of places in the Scriptures where we see some strange things happening. So, for instance, in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse 6 and following, we have uh, Saul, <laughs> uh, who is wrestling with the silence of God. I mean, the only word from God that he has is basically what has been recorded already in the Holy Scriptures, and the fact that uh, God has pronounced his judgment against him for uh, disobeying his word. And yet Saul keeps on going to the Lord without repentance, saying, speak to me, give me something, uh, but the Lord is silent. And so finally, Saul resolves to go to this witch in Endor, <laughs> convinces the witch that he's not going to kill her, and she summons up, apparently, the, the, the ghost or the apparition of Samuel. And of course, when you mix with the dark, with the dark things and the dark arts, it doesn't end well. <laughs> and it doesn't end well for Saul. Uh, Samuel, uh, or something appearing to be like Samuel, appears before Saul, and then says, uh, you're doomed. In fact, tomorrow you're going to be joining me. Uh, so if anything, the, the, one, the one place in the Holy Scriptures where we see a person going out of their way to meddle in this thing called necromancy and summoning a soul from the dead, pulling them out of either judgment in heaven or hell, it doesn't end well, and it serves as a warning against uh, breaking the second commandment in this way. So, so just to be clear on this, there are ghosts, which means the souls of people apart from their bodies, but they are not hanging around the earth. They are in uh, the presence of God or in, in, in hell. So that if, if ghosts do appear, what we're looking at is a, is a demonic deception, and we know that because of the preaching. Now, this is an amazing sort of thing. We can know... Because, and this, this is the same thing with all these out-of-body experiences and everything else. We can listen to the preaching of the ghosts, and then we can know that they're not true, that they, in fact, are, are coming from the demonic council. We've got to talk more about this, and, and I want to hear the end of your story, too, but we've got to go to the break now. So we're going to go to the break. We're going to come back a few seconds from now, and we're going to talk to Pastor Flammy. You're listening to um, you're listening to Cross Defense, Curious Christian Conversations. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolfman. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What is it that you want to share with us? Call the KFUO comment line at 314-996-1542. Tell us what we're doing right, wrong, or just leave a message with your thoughts on why KFUO is important to you. What would you like to hear on KFUO to make your listening experience better? You can call us anytime at 314-996-1542. Thank you for listening and sharing your thoughts with KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Three things make a believer. Oratio, meditatio, 
Tentatio, prayer, meditation, and growth. Which is why every weekday morning from 7 to 8 a.m. we bring you Oratio, an hour of solace, contemplation, scripture, sacred music, and faith. Oratio, the dawn breaks with prayer every morning on Worldwide KFUO. The entrance to Museum of the Bible may be the most photographed museum entrance in Washington, D.C. Visitors are welcomed by dramatic 40-foot-high bronze gates emblazoned with Genesis 1 from the Gutenberg Bible with panels mimicking the Latin, typeset backwards as it would have been on the Gutenberg Press. A unique piece of art hangs in the lobby, a glass panel displaying Psalm 19 from a papyrus leaf from the museum collections. The Greek text dates to the 3rd or 4th century, a 1,500-year-old manuscript on display inside the museum. Museum of the Bible invites all people to engage with the Bible in a museum experience unlike anything seen before, all in honor of the Bible. Engage with the book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Pastor Brian Wolf. You're there. I got Pastor Flint. We're talking about ghosts. <laughs> oh, this is good. Ramping up for Halloween. I, I remember Luther talks in small called articles about how just the idea of a ghost is a false doctrine uh, perpetuated by the devil to convince people of the idea of purgatory. In, in other words, yeah. if after we die, we get to hang around here and not immediately be judged, then then there's some intermediate state between something between heaven and hell and so and so luther says that the the devil deceives us even with the idea of ghosts and necromancy to think that we can escape judgment and so forth and so on what do you think about that idea well luther has a point uh so gregory the great in his dialogues book 4 chapter 40 describes one of these apparitions and it and it is a ghostly appearance to the bishop of Kaupa named Germanus. Anyways, there's this old deacon that everybody really loved, and then the deacon died. Now, Germanus is at a bath, and he's washing himself, and, and then suddenly this apparition of this uh, deacon uh, called uh, Pascasis appears before him, and he says, Look, you're spending too much time in the baths. I sinned much, which is why I am still here to tell you to spend more time in your devotions. And then Gregory was scared by this, and, and uh, he, he uh, you know, quits the bath and does his devotions, and then the spirit of this deacon doesn't appear to him again. But do you see it? So the deacon had to uh, atone for some sin that was left over from his life. And the way that he was going to uh, atone for it was to appear to this bishop of Kaupa, Germanus, to tell him, hey, look, you haven't been doing your devotions, you're hanging around the baths too much, quit the bath, go to the devotions, and now I have expiated for my sin, and my soul can fly up to heaven, apparently. So Luther wasn't <laughs> making this stuff up. This is real. 
Now, the, so the demons were there preaching works righteousness. That, so they yeah. appear like a, and and then the demons appear in the Middle Ages and they preach purgatory. And what do the demons now come and preach in, in the form of ghosts that go into the light? The idea doesn't that every death is the same. That you go from from the sorrowful world into no worry about repentance, no worry about about the gospel, the blood of Jesus. Everybody just gets to go to the light. So that's the false preaching of the demons that appear as ghosts to us nowadays, at least as I can hear it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you hear about these out-of-body, near-death experiences uh, on Unsolved Mysteries. Is that still a show? I don't know, but they have all like the ghost whisperers and the ghost hunters and the and the. I, there was even a what was I watch like a treasure hunt. You know how they have these treasure hunting shows, and uh, and they go and they look for like sunken treasure. They have a paranormal treasure hunting show. It was on the background when I went on a home visit the other day, and even though it was yeah. muted, like I couldn't. I was like, this is weird stuff. <laughs> Just I couldn't stop. <laughs> Anyway, well, okay, so you got to finish your story. We're going we're gonna to run out of, it's, this is like a guillotine that's dropping is this one-hour time limit. It's crazy. Anyway, well, so you better get to the good part yeah. of the story. Okay, so I'm, I, in speaking to this man, it becomes clear that he desires something to do. The use of holy water, the special performance of a rite to drive away uh, these apparitions and these, these evil presences from his home. Now, this is really weird. As I start digging into his story, he tells me about how he's recently moved back from California. There in California, he was in a relationship with another man. And, and this other man uh, uh, had told him, hey, look, I practice uh, fortune telling and, and other things like this. Why don't you come and participate in some of these rites with me? Now, after this point, the man looks me in the eye and says, do you think that that had an effect? Do you think that that left something like something rubbed off on me from from being around like this guy when he was trying to engage in his fortune telling? And again, I, I look at him and I say, yes, of course I do. Not only that, it seems quite clear to me that the man was effeminate. Uh, that is, uh, he was uh, it looked as if he was a practicing homosexual in, in the manner of in how he spoke, uh, his gestures and how he spoke about this other male friend. And so I tried to push through to him uh, this fact that, look, um, you, it, it, it may not seem fair that the demons have come to afflict you. Because remember, again, this can't be ghosts. This has to be a kind of demonic uh, uh, affliction. But I said, uh, the sins that we commit have real spiritual consequences. Uh, so, like, if, I, if a friend invites me <laughs> to participate or to witness some dark cultic art... <laughs> be it fortune-telling or other kinds of witchcraft, that uh, opens me up bodily to uh, the afflictions of the demons. And also, I, 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 I made clear to him the things that we do with our body and breaking the Ten Commandments, uh, sins against even the Sixth Commandment, which is, seems to us in our Western minds to be a totally bodily, non-spiritual sort of a thing, my body engages in sexual acts, it doesn't really do anything to my mind or my soul. The Scriptures say otherwise. Especially, I, I was, uh, this came to me this morning as I was thinking about John chapter 8, uh, verse 34, where Jesus says, everyone who does sin or practices sin is a slave to sin. And being a slave to sin, you are not of the kingdom of God, but in fact, you're in the kingdom of the devil. And uh, uh, so I, I told him, so what you need, ultimately, is not another work that, to be performed to set you free from the demons. Uh, you need to be in church. 
uh, you've been baptized, which means that the Holy Ghost has come. Uh, but it's clear to me that not being in church, you're not receiving the grace of God in preaching and the sacrament. It had been a, admittedly a very long time since he had ever received Jesus' body and blood in the Lord's Supper. And, uh, and, and so I said, you need to be in church. You need to come and hear the Word of God, be strengthened by His Word, because even Luther admits, if it were hearing the Word every single day, the devil would have long have come and overtook him. And if and Luther, this great preacher and reformer, if he doesn't have the strength to withstand the devil for one day apart from the Word of God, who do we think we are? What do we think that we're doing when we think to ourselves that I can have a kind of faith or spirituality apart from the preaching of God's Word and the sacrament? Uh, and, and And so... Sadly, at that point, you know, his phone started ringing, his boss is trying to get his attention. Um, I gave him my card, and I said, if you want to talk more about uh, repentance and faith, uh, that which actually, you know, keeps the demons away, uh, please call me. And that's where the conversation ended, sadly. It's it's an amazing. So you drive, there's a lot of things in there um, to kind of crumbs to pick up on, but um, one of them is this is this connection that the way that the devil he wants access to our conscience and he's and he's so he's trying to worm his way in through various different sins and especially through uh, addictive sins that um and sexual sins have that kind of addictive mark and that and, and through those ways the devil sort of he he sets up shop in the conscience so 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 Paul says um regarding sexual immorality every other sin a person commits outside of their body but sexual immorality you commit inside your body indicating that uh, that the sixth commandment stuff almost gives the devil a, a, a more sort of straight shot to access the conscience any any thoughts on that no i think you're absolutely right saint paul sees the the particular danger that belongs to the sixth commandment uh uh it's not a sin outside of you it's a sin within you uh, the body was made, uh, the body of a man was made for one woman in holy matrimony. Uh, and any other use apart from that is an attack upon not just ex the external works of God, but an attack upon your own body that has been set apart for, for the one flesh union of holy marriage. Now, like you said, I, I'm not sure if I can jump in there and, uh, uh, you know, pull together the, the web of connections between the body and the conscience, but it's true. That uh, desire is so strong in sexual sense uh, that it really becomes an idol quickly. And where an idol takes shape and is formed by us, it quickly displaces the room for anything else in the, in the conscience. It becomes the thing to which you have to sacrifice. It's as if you don't have a choice. Mm. Um, and I was afraid that this is perhaps the problem with this fellow. Uh, he thinks his problem is ghosts. But in fact, I, uh, I think his problem had more to do with the second and sixth commandments, and that he needed uh, to repent of sin and to be absolved. Right. And I have That's... no doubt. I mean, this is, this is strange. I think that when a Lutheran pastor wanders into these conversations, we do it differently than everybody else. Everybody else is looking for a, a kind of counterpower to the power of the devil. But the Lutheran pastor wanders into these situations, and we have absolute confidence that we can cast out demons. <laughs> that we could send the ghosts flying, right? If only people receive baptism and come to church and hear the preaching of God's Word. We, I mean, we, I, at least I truly believe that this is true freedom from all of those crazy, sick things. And I, and, and, and I wanted to tell this guy, look, you could be set free from all of this. You just have to come to church. You just have to be forgiven of your sins. 
But it was also clear, like, as soon as you put that before him, right, uh, he sees something that, that, is, that he's not re- really willing to touch or to, let, or, or, or to grab a hold of, right? Uh, it's as if the, he's more comfortable at this point with the ghosts and the demons than he is to uh, hear the absolution, which is really quite tragic. It probably speaks to the state of much of the world today. Yeah, a, Jesus says it right. Uh, he who commits a sin is a slave to sin, but the, but it's a slavery that we love. You don't want you. Uh, we 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 love the bondage that the devil has us in, and and if it means, if being free means also being free from the sin, then we say, well, I'll just I'll just stay here as a slave. That was the exact context in which Jesus spoke those words. He was surrounded by a bunch of Jews who were beginning to believe in him, right? And then Jesus uh, tells them uh, that I will set you free, and, and my, by my word you will be set free. And they say, hold on now. What do you mean we need to be set free? We are the seed of Abraham. How dare you, right? And then Jesus brings them to this critical uh, uh, point where he says, look, you say that you're seed Abraham, but if you were truly Abraham's seed and his descendants, then you would hear my word, and my word would find a place within you. And you, by my word, would be set free. But instead, you have Satan as your father, not Abraham, because my word won't find a place within you. That's amazing. So, so that the, there's all this weird sort of demonic spiritual stuff. I mean, it's wonky out there and dark and very, very strange. But the, the solution that the Lord has is not equally strange. It's, it's very simple. It's his word. It's his word that brings the gift of repentance and the Holy Spirit. That's, I mean, that, that is the thing that casts out the demons is the word of God. It's like a, it's like a fumigator for the bugs. It, it is what drives the devil away. Yeah, I mean, think about the, uh, how, how well you can preach this to your own families at home. You know, kids wake up with nightmares at, at night oftentimes, right? Uh, sometimes ki- kids get these panic attacks in the middle of the night, and they're scared of things. And you get to tell your children as a Christian mom or dad, look, you are baptized. Jesus is with you. And Jesus has saved you from all the dark and the scary things out there. They can't touch you. It's impossible for them to touch you because Jesus has conquered them through his cross and his resurrection. And I don't know about you, Pastor Wolfmuller, but at least when I say those things to my children about being set free from the devil and his demons because of Jesus, and, and now they belong to Jesus instead of the devil, uh, it, it is great comfort for my kids. It's it's incredible how they will quickly latch onto that word and find the greatest comfort in it, even though an adult surely, you know, they're going to fight it. They're going to say to themselves, you know, it must be a little more tricky than that, right? There must be a little more to it than that. Obviously, I have to add a little bit of my works to that or something. Yeah, or some magic or some holy water. There's this great verse, and we got to go quick, Pastor Flynn. We're going to run out of time, but but you know, Paul will say things like flee sexual immorality, but but he doesn't say we're never taught to flee the devil. In fact, we're supposed to resist the devil, and he will flee from us. That's the promise that James gives us, which is an astonishing thing to think about. That the, that the devil does not have the authority to destroy us, to overcome us, to devour us, because Jesus has destroyed him. And even now, Jesus is busy putting the devil under our feet. That's the preaching of Romans 16. A few final thoughts right. on the victory that we have in Christ. Yo, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so first of all, back to the uh, soldier-warrior metaphor of Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, the faith that you have as a Christian is a defensive weapon. 
The devil tries to attack you with his flaming darts, that is his lies, and they're extinguished on the shield. However, as a Christian, you are not purely a defensive creature in this world. You are an offensive weapon against the devil and his demons. And so you are given the sword, which is the Word of God, the Spirit of God, uh, which is also uh, the, the Scriptures being uh, externalized is prayer. And with this weapon, uh, the dark powers that, that hold on to this earth through sin and through unbelief, they're sent, uh, they're scattered. They run from you, just like you were promising uh, uh, there from the Scriptures, Pastor Wolfman. Fantastic. Pastor Brian Flaming, pastor of uh, Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Roswell, New Mexico, and also like five other churches down there. Is that right? Uh, two, two vacancies. Two vacancies. He's running all over uh, serving churches. Thank you. It's always great, boy. Uh, to have you on the show. Thanks for that. And I'm Pastor Brian Wolfman. This is uh, talking about the demons getting you ready for Halloween. Boy, things get dark here next week. For we have a our culture has an obsession with this darkness that's there, with this kind of with the with this other side of things. But we, the Christian ought to know that this exists, that the devil exists, that he does prowl around like a roaring lion, seeking for whom he can devour. But that he has been destroyed. Jesus took on flesh and blood, so that through his death. He might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and set all of those who were set subject to the slavery through the fear of death free. Jesus has done that for you and for me. We have the light that comes from his word and his kindness, the safety that comes from repentance, the assurance that comes from the armor of light that we are decked in by the gospel so that we don't have to be afraid of the dark. In fact, the darkness, dear friends, the darkness runs from Christ, which means the darkness runs from you as you hold forth God's word and his blood, and you don't love your life to death. So God be praised for that, and we'll join you next week. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, your host on Cross Defense. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next Monday. Listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314 996 1518, or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at KFUO.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.